morning, and this morning we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 6, verses 7 through 12, and before any of you who were here two weeks ago tell me I already covered 7 and 8, I know that. Uh, uh, I, I had, there's method to my madness, so at any rate, uh, we're going to, we're going to use them kind of as introductory as we come into uh, the text this morning. Um, <clears throat> just uh, kind of as a... Uh, a reminder in the book of Hebrews, we have a we have a, a book that has written to a group of Hebrews. I tend to believe they are outside of Jerusalem. Uh, there's arguments both ways. Others think they're in Jerusalem. I think because it was written written from the Septuagint, it's probably the Greek uh, Jews outside. Uh, but uh, uh, that really isn't uh, a big issue one way or the other. The point is, it is very. Jewish in its nature, it it appeals to to people who have come to faith out of Judaism, but tend to be under attack from fellow Jews trying to draw them back into Judaism. This congregation seems to be somewhat immature, uh, not as developed as it should be. He's talked about them needing to go back to the elementary principles and those kinds of things. He talks about they should be teachers and they're not. They haven't reached the level they ought to have gotten to. And as a result of that, and I think this is, this is true, it's true even of strong, solid churches, but it's especially true of weak churches. Within them, there are people who are not saved. Uh, I mean, it's just, that's just a general rule. Uh, we're going to talk about that just a little bit later. But, the, but there are always people around that are not saved. And he has just gone through, he has just gone through a series of, of verses in in chapter in the earlier part of chapter six, where he addressed that group of people, and and uh, and he said to them, you know, there's only one way, and it's Jesus. And if you don't accept that, there is no other way. That's my paraphrase of what the author said. He didn't put it that way, but he said there is no there is no salvation. Your microphone has fallen down to your belt. Otherwise, you won't be heard. So sorry. Thank you. I appreciate that because me and technology do not get along. So anyway, but any rate, but any rate, uh, th- that's that's a thrust of it. He, he says there's 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 no other way. You know, uh, God made the plan. God provided the salvation, and you do it His way because He's in charge. That's that's the bottom line. And uh, uh, and and so he he's addressed that issue, and and as he comes out of that issue, he comes to verses. Uh, seven and eight, which are an, an illustration out of agriculture, which we'll talk about in just a minute. So as we come into the text this morning, we're moving back now to speaking to the believing congregation. Uh, this is, this is, uh, uh, he is he's going to address them, and he's going to have some very comforting pastoral words uh, to speak to them. And uh, that's, uh, it, it basically is an exhortation to hold on. It's an exhortation to preserve uh, to to hold on to the faith. That's really what he's what he's telling them here, and he's saying you are and continue to do so, is 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 the idea that's going to come out of this this text this morning. So, I know there there may be a, a couple of prayer requests. I know uh, Tim Powell. We need to uh, remember him. Um, uh, the last update I had was the one from yesterday that said he's still hospitalized in Kentucky. And he uh, he is he is uh, that's where I'm going to he is suffering from uh, pneumonia COVID related pneumonia. He's doing better this morning. He is. 
Okay, there is has been some other words. Yesterday morning, that was the last word we heard. So, so at any rate, uh, that is one prayer request. Are there any others? Karen. Oh yeah, we have a, a friend. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Her name is Karen. She uh, she had more things happen to her than I can remember. All it all one after the other, and she's in a rehab hospital, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you uh, kind of would keep her in mind, we would appreciate it. Well, Sam and Sarah, my girls got here safely. They're now settled down. <laughs> sniff, sniff. Yeah. Well, that's both happy and sad. So they had snow this morning there. <clears throat> Edward, can I ask you to open this? Sure. Lord, we lift these things to you. We know that you're here with us. We thank you, Lord, that when we when we talk to you, you hear us, Lord. And I'm thankful that your word says we should come to you and ask. And Father, we lift these things to you. We thank you, Father, that you that you intend to give good gifts to your kids. Your word says it. Be with us this morning and quicken your word to our ears in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, first of all, I want to look at the illustration just a little bit again this morning. Uh, verses 7 and 8, having come, off of, uh, having come off of verse uh, 6, especially where he says, and then having fallen away uh, to restore again to repentance since, the cruci- uh, since, they, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God. Basically saying they're holding Jesus up in contempt. You can't do that. Uh, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't uh, turn away from Christianity and think there is any other repentance. It just doesn't happen. And he says, so then he comes to this agricultural, um, he comes to this agricultural uh, 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 illustration that he's going to use that if you were a first century Jew, you would understand this. They were all farmers for the most part. I mean, they, they, they would understand this idea. And, and I think most of us can understand this even if we don't have any farming abilities at all, like some people in this room, me. And, uh, 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 but uh, uh, he, he, says, he says this to him, first of all. He says, For the land that has drunk the rain, that often falls on it and produces a crop, is useful for those, uh, for those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. In other words, he's saying, Good, solid ground, when the rain falls on it, and you take care of that ground, and you work that ground, it produces a beneficial crop. That's, that's the idea. And a farmer was going to understand that. That's what they did. Uh, they would have understood this idea. And then in verse 8, he goes on and he says, But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless. And near to be, uh, being cursed, and, it, and in the end it is burned. And, and basically, they don't allow us to do that anymore, but you used to watch tumbleweeds being burned all over this county because the ground produces them. You know, and that's the idea here. That's a worthless crop. It doesn't do anybody any good. And, 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 and Scripture uses these kind of illustrations a number of times. Jesus said, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. In this life, there is a certain equality of how things happen. Rain falls, it gets everybody wet. It gets everybody's ground wet. That's, that's the idea. It doesn't, doesn't just rain on the saved or just rain on the unsaved. It rains. That's, that's the idea. And, and this is what it's saying here. Rain falls on the ground. And I, I gave you an illustration of my yard, I think, a couple of weeks ago. You know, I, I, have half, I have this big lot, and half of it is taken care of, and the other half isn't. 
Well, the rain has produced thorns and thistles on the other half. The front half is green, but the back half is, I'm going to have to do a bunch of work. I had it all killed off at one time, but not anymore. And that's, that's the picture that he's giving here. He, he speaks of the land that is tended and farmed, and it results in a blessing. And I think that relates to 9 through 12 that we're going to look at this morning, that that's the blessed land that he's talking about there. It, because uh, uh, he's, he's, he's now speaking to believers. He's going to change his, his, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his focus on his audience now uh, to, to the believing members of this congregation. And, he, and, he's, going to, and he's going to address, uh, address their work for Christ. And he basically says that they, they need to continue in that work, diligently and patiently. They need to cultivate the work of God, is kind of the idea that he's, uh, he's expressing in these verses. And so that's how this illustration, I think this is how this part of the illustration applies. And then he, then he, then he goes on to verse 8, which, which actually applies to the above uh, part of the, part of the uh, uh, illustration. He talks, he talks about that land which... It had the rainfall on it. They heard the gospel. They were around the work of the Holy Spirit. They saw God working within the assembly of believers, but they never accepted it. And, and they don't produce a worthwhile crop. They produce thorns and thistles. It speaks of a, the land that's not worked, that it, the seed did not take root in and did not grow. <clears throat> And he, he talks about it as, as a curse, and, and of course it is, Genesis 3, chapter, Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Part of the curse of the fall of Adam was that he would have to work hard. That's why you guys all have aching muscles today. You can thank him. Uh, but uh, but uh, uh, that even out of his work, thorns and thistles would be a part of it. They're part of the curse. <clears throat> When I look at my yard, I think of that. Okay, that's I know why I got thorns and thistles. But anyway, uh, and so he, he, this is what he spo- he's speaking of in 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 in, in chapter six, uh, four through sixteen, uh, and he basically says it's not fit for anything but destruction. Now I'm not going to burn my backyard, but I suspect it's going to get a good dose of Roundup as soon as the rain stops. You know, or actually, uh, that ground sterilant stuff is what it's going to get. But anyway, that's what's going to happen. Isaiah, <clears throat> he spoke in a similar manner when he talked about Israel uh, and, the, and the men of Judah in chapter 5 of Isaiah. He said this, let me sing of my, uh, verse 1, let me, uh, let me sing of my beloved, uh, of my beloved, my song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, and he cleared it out of stones, and he planted in it choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. In other words, he had good land, but it didn't produce like it should have. And then he goes on in verse 5, and he says, And now I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will remove the hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down the wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, and it, and, <clears throat> and, it, and it shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow in it. I will also command the clouds that they 
rain, no rain upon it. And then in verse 7, he gives us the explanation of all this. He says, for the vineyard is the Lord of hosts. The vineyard is of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasing plants. And he looked for justice, behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. In other words, the rain fell on it. It was cultivated, but it produced thorns. And as a result, it was fit for destruction. So this relates to the previous section. And it's a, it's, it continues that warning that he's going on about. But now he's going to move. He's going to move to a, to, a, to a whole different idea. He's going to move away from this concept of judgment for failure to receive Christ. And he's going to move on to those who have. And he says, he says in verse 9, and we're going to look at verses 9 and 10, and he says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in service and serving the saints, as you still do. So he starts out by saying, Though we speak in this way, and he's talking about the address that he, he had to give in verses 4 through 6, primarily. He's saying, we had to speak in that way. And he had to speak in that way because there were those within this church who were not. And he wanted to make sure they understood very clearly where they stood. And he directed that at, at non-believers. But he's changing his tone now. And he's basically saying, He's saying he's going to address believers in this, this part of the text. And, and once again, any church can and does have within it people who are non-believers and some people who maybe even think they are believers but aren't. They've never really made a true commitment. They, they, uh, they base their salvation on <laughs> other things than on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the ca- cross of Calvary. They, they put their faith in other things. Matthew chapter 13, t- uh, 24 through 43, talks about the wheat and the tares. They grow together. Uh, they grow together. And that it, uh, it's, it's in the judgment, they get separated. Uh, it doesn't call us to be tear rippers. Uh, you know, that's really not what it calls us to be. Uh, so that is a fact. It's a fact and. And uh, uh, we need to be aware of that. I, I have to say that having come to this church, I really there's a couple of things I really appreciated. I appreciated their membership process. I really did. Because they do everything they can to make sure this doesn't happen. But I guarantee it still does. You know, it still does. But they do everything they can. These guys do a good job. They do a good job to, uh, to guarantee that doesn't happen. And, of course, we always... Give some kind of an invitation to those who have come to visit or who are or just around that kind of idea. But he says, he says, I had to talk this way, but now to you. And he uses the word beloved. This is a key word. Beloved is used 60 times in the New Testament. It, it's a derivative of agape, uh, you know, the highest level of love. Uh, the love that sacrifices on behalf of another. And it's used 60 times in the New Testament. With the exception of nine times, it's always used to refer to believers in Jesus Christ. Always. The other nine are used of God speaking of the Son, my beloved Son. That's the only usage of this term in the New Testament. So it's speaking about believers. 
He's, he's turned the tone now. We know who he's speaking to. And he says, we feel sure of better things. And the, the word sure can be translated as uh, convinced, persuaded, sure, or confident. It's, it's a word that carries, interestingly enough, <clears throat> it, it carries the idea of an assurance, of, of a positive attitude. Uh, that's, that's the idea behind this. It, he's not saying, I have a really good idea you're saved. He's saying, I know it. I can see it. And he's going to explain that as he, as he moves on. It's visible. Uh, I, I have a firm belief here. It's solid. It's strong. We feel sure of better things. He says, and he says, the things that accompany or belong to, that, that could be translated that way, that belong to salvation. Now, he doesn't say what they are. He doesn't say what these accompanying things are. And the, the author of this book does this very often, and then he'll come back later, pick the theme up again, and add more to it. He does that a few times in this book. But here he doesn't explain, he doesn't explain what the things that accompany salvation are, what the things that belong to salvation are. But I think from where we've been thus far in the book, there are a few things we could pluck out of that. Uh, he's probably talking about the fact of, People who are maturing, not remaining in infancy. He's talked about that already in this book. Um, he's, he's, pro- he's probably talking about people who base their righteousness on their position in Christ, not on things they have done that they claim were in his name. Uh, it, it also means that they understand repentance is turning toward God and not acts of works that then God owes us salvation. You understand that that's what work systems are. Work system says God owes me. That's basically what it says. God, I did all, this is what they said to Jesus. We did all of this stuff in your name. And his answer is, no, you didn't. I don't know who you are. You know, the works doesn't save you. That's, that's, that's the key here. And these, and some of these people had that, that was the idea that came out of Judaism. That's what Judaism had evolved into. It had evolved into a work system. And these people certainly uh, had a problem with that. There's nothing I can do to make myself worthy of salvation. God did it through Jesus Christ. That's, that's, and I still wasn't worthy. <laughs> that's that's the, the, important, the point. He, he made it so in the, in, the, in the counsel of his own mind. So he says it's not in it. It, uh, it isn't based in ritual or ceremony. We don't perform some ceremony and that makes you saved. That that doesn't happen. Uh, keeping a bunch of rituals, participating in a bunch of of uh, uh, ceremonies doesn't doesn't uh, save you. It's regeneration and transformation by the Holy Spirit. That, that, those are things that he's, he's, he's addressed in here. It's based in Christ's sacrifice, not a continual animal sacrifice that covers for a moment. It's a permanent sacrifice that Christ created. Those, those are things that belong to salvation. It's looking for the blessed hope. That's, that's, that's a, a, a strong point for, for all believers. We're looking for the return of Jesus Christ. Come, Lord Jesus. That's some of the final words of Scripture. It's not being around the area where the Holy Spirit is doing work, but it's being indwelt by Him. 
And these are some of the features that we've seen so far. So, so he, he's talking about the things that accompany salvation. He's talking to save people here. And he's saying, we see these things in you. We see a people that base their righteousness in Jesus. We see a people who are trying to mature in Christ. We see a people that had true repentance toward God. We see a people that put their, that put their trust in the work of the Holy Spirit, indwelling their lives, transforming and regenerating them. And we understand that Jesus did it all at Calvary. That, that's the people he's talking to. And then he, he moves on to verse 10. And he says this, he says, well, it was here yesterday. Anyway, uh, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving in serving the saints. And as you still do. So now he goes on and he talks about the fact that, you know, God forgets sin, but he doesn't forget the service you have done in his name. Those are, those are, there, there are things God can forget. He can forget your sin when he saves you. And that's, that's what he does. He does that. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 verse 34 says, And no longer shall each of one of you teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the, leadest, from, the, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Elsewhere in Scripture it tells us that he picks our sin as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't remember sin. That's one of the things God doesn't remember. He, do, he can purposely put that away. Uh, but he's not one who puts away what you've done. And the, he says, but God does not overlook or forget the works and deeds done in his name for his saints. He's, that's, that's what he's saying here. He knows what you've done. He knows the service you have performed. He's known the attitude with which you've performed it. He knows all of those things. Matthew chapter 25. <laughs> oh, I didn't mark it. In Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew 20, uh, chapter 25, at verse 40, but in the preceding to verse 40, in the context of verse 40, he's talking about the, uh, the final judgment. And he goes through this litany of things that if you did this for me, he goes on, you did this when I was naked, you clothed me, when I was thirsty, you gave me water. There's a whole long list of things he goes through. And he comes to verse 40, well, actually verse 39, and the people ask him, when did we do this, Lord? They don't really remember having done all of these things. And, and Jesus answered to them, and the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it, did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Uh, God doesn't forget what you've done. He knows. He knows the service you performed. He knows, knows what you have done on behalf of our brethren in the, in the church, uh, his saints. He knows those things, and he, he doesn't lose track of them. That's, that's the, the idea here, and that's what, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying to these people. God is not unjust. It's interesting here because the Greek text basically says, He's not unjust to not forget. That's really the way it goes. It is really the way it goes here. It's, it's kind of like a double use of the thing here. He's saying he's not unjust to not forget. 
you know, he doesn't forget. In other words, is what it's saying here. But uh, the way it's worded is really, really kind of strange. But he, Jesus just doesn't forget the work you've done. And he says this work is done in his name. <clears throat> now, he doesn't, he doesn't specify what work they've done. Uh, but the works are not the basis of their salvation. The works are the result of their salvation, Ephesians 2, 8, 2, 8 through 10. You know, you need to read 10 when you read that text. Everybody says 2, 8, 9, read 10. Because 10, 10 tells you, tells you the, uh, the, uh, the rest of the story here. Uh, 2, 8, uh, starting at 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that anyone may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. That's part of your election. God has placed you where he wants you in the assembly, and God has specific things he wants you to do, and he prepared them beforehand for you to do. And he doesn't forget them. That's the other side of it. The salvation is all by grace. Actually, so are the works. In that context. So are the works. He says that's, that's the idea here. Now here he doesn't state what the works are. But later in the context he's going to, he's going to make some, some more references to, the, to this assembly of people, to some of the things they, they have done, to some of the things they have endured in chapter 10. He, he picks up in chapter 10 in verse, uh, in verse 32. <clears throat> but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partnered with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you, were joyf- and, and you joyfully accepted the plunder of your property, since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And then he tells, goes on and says, Therefore don't throw away your confidence, which is of great reward. You understand, these people had been through, they had done these things that Jesus listed in Matthew 25. And God doesn't forget. God knew their service. He, he doesn't delineate it here, but he does later on. And, and, and incidentally, John, in John chapter 13, 34, and 35, it tells us that this is evidence that we are believers because we have love for the brethren. That's, 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 that's a whole part of this, this whole system here that he's calling on these people. He's reminding them of these things. Understand, you've got a congregation that is somewhat weak in its theology. I'm sure it had some mature people within it. Uh, obviously, it had some that were able to, to teach. But for the most part, the congregation wasn't up to the level it should have been. And as a result of that, it was susceptible to doubts. And uh, to to failings, and and he is building that up and telling them, look, here's who you are. Remember that. Uh, keep in mind, God hasn't forgotten what you have done. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on with you. In fact, he's in charge of it. And then he goes on to to further demonstrate that these folks are truly 
truly his, because he says, you've been serving the saints. Now, I think most of you in here know the word saint means holy ones. It means believers. That's the reference. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in our world, we, hear, we, we use this word in very strange ways. Uh, the unsaved very often will go, someone does something nice for them and go, well, they're a saint. Well, maybe they are and maybe they're not. You know, it depends on their salvation status as to whether they're a saint or not. Or we have an ecumenical group that says we elevate certain individuals to sainthood. Uh, Generally, they have to be dead. And generally, they have other requirements. The Roman Catholic Church says they have to perform two verifiable miracles. I don't know how they verify them. But nevertheless... Because they never did them. But nevertheless, that's what they say. But none of that is true. Saints are believers. And that's what he's calling these people. That's what he's saying. These are the people whom you serve, the saints, fellow believers, of which you are a part. So all of you rightly have the title saint, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Understand that. And in the structure here, these are not one-time acts. These are continuing acts. This, these are people who, who have shown, he says, he says, in the name of serving the saints as you still do. It's an ongoing, it's a continuation. It, the acts are ongoing. These folks demonstrate their salvation by their works. That's what this is saying. They have, they have demonstrable evidence uh, that they are saved people. Uh, they, they live like saved people is, is kind of the idea that he's, he's saying here. Um, they show a love for their Lord to the benefit of their fellow saints. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. Ah, excuse me. For what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but he does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one says to him, go in peace, be warmed and be filled without giving him the things that are needed for the body, what good good is that? So, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words... He's not saying that we get saved by faith, but he says if we're saved, we are, excuse me. He's not saying we get saved by works. He's saying if we are saved, we will work. That, that's, that's the issue that is, that is being demonstrated here, that we don't just say, oh, have a nice day and move on. That's, that's not the idea. And, he's, and in this context, he's saying that's what these people have done. Uh, that's what these people have done. They have, they have dem- there is demonstrable evidence that many of them are truly believers. Yes, there are some who are not among them, which is always true. But in this case, there are many who are. And he's, he's encouraging them to keep on. And then he, he goes on and he, he goes on with the encouragement to continue. And he says this, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In verse 10, he spoke of their demonstrable love. In verse 11, he's going to stress their need for hope. 
In verse 12, he points to their uh, he, he points to them to follow the lead of the faithful, faith, hope, and love. Uh, Corinthians 10:13. But but now faith, hope, and love abide in these three. But but the greatest of these is love. Those are those are hallmarks of Christianity. Those three words they uh, very often uh, sum up a lot of who we are. We are to be people people who who love in the agape sense. Our Lord, uh, love the assembly, love one another, and have a love for mankind because we evangelize. Uh, We are people who have a fixed hope because we know our Lord is coming back. Uh, And we know that we have an eternal resting place with Him. Well, an eternal, it's not a place where we go and sleep, but I I mean in that we we, we are rested from the labors of this world. And then finally, uh, we are a people who are to live by faith. Those are those are the the three that uh, that are that are uh, most imminent uh, to to describe how we are to behave ourselves. I suppose you could say. In verse eleven, he says, "And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have full assurance of the hope until the end." He says, "We desire," and and he says, "We desire this of." Each one of you, every individual in this assembly, we desire the same thing for you. All of this is for each one of you. This is not just for the leadership. It's not just for the people that do this or the people that do that. It's everybody. That's, that's the idea. He says that, <clears throat> um, he, and he goes on to say that, that we earnestly, this, he uses this word, earnestly. This is a word that means to be diligent. It ha- carries with it the idea of haste. That's, that's what it carries with it. Uh, th- this is something that should be foremost. It needs to be, it needs to be, going, it needs to be going forward is kind of the idea here. It's, it's the idea of not wasting time, that there's no lag time with things. This word is used three other times in the New Testament, twice in Romans chapter 8 and once in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. In, in Romans, in verse in chapter 12, verse 8, it's used of leaders. It's translated zeal there. It says leaders are to lead with zeal. Uh, there's to be no lag time in their leading. There's, they don't get to take a break, in other words. And if you've ever been in church leadership, you know that one. But uh, uh, if not, you, you know, don't be there. Just don't be there. Uh, it's, it's, there's, there's no lag time. There's no wasting time. You have to stay with it, uh, is the idea here. It's used in verse... It's used in verse 12 of chapter 12 in reference to slothfulness. It says, not being slothful, but with zeal. Our whole service, everything we do, whatever area of service you're in, it's to be done with earnestness, with diligence, with zeal. That's that's the idea uh, that he's he's expressing here. In 2 Peter uh, uh, 1, verse 5, now this one's going to hit all of us home. We're to have earnestness in our development of our spiritual walk. That's what Peter says. It's to be, there he says effort, but it's the same verb. It's the same verb. It's to be, we're to be hastily trying to grow in Christ. That's that's the idea uh, that he's expressing there. 
And he says, this earnestness is be directed toward, and if you apply all of these things he's talking about here, you can kind of see where this, this will kind of come along with, the, to, to having full assurance of hope. The full assurance to know for certain whom you serve. We sing a song, I know who I believe in, and I'm persuaded he can keep me until that day. That's the idea of full assurance. That's what he's saying here. You're to be fully assured. There should be no doubt in your mind. You should know. Now understand, there are times you may have doubt. That happens to everybody once in a while. But the overall thrust of your life should be when you have those doubts, you go here. You know, I've told people before, you know, if you don't understand a verse, just keep reading. It'll explain itself when you get down the road. Jesus, uh, God took a long time and a lot of men to put this together. Uh, he didn't dump it in a truckload. We have the truckload. So don't, don't be surprised that it takes you a while to get there, you know. But nevertheless, uh, don't turn away. Just keep reading. Keep, keep studying. Keep looking. Get a notebook. Write down the question you have. Probably before you get to the end of the book, it's going to get answered. Or maybe the next book. But it'll get answered. It's there. He says, he says that I want you to have full assurance. Which makes this a primary necessity in the development of the Christian life. You've got to know who you believe. First Peter, or second, excuse me, second Peter chapter three, verse 18 says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we are to be doing. We're to be, I, I've, uh, I have taught, I've taught Bible for approximately 40 years now. Um, and the one, th- the one major thing I have learned is I don't know enough. And I learn more every day. Uh, every time I study it. I- I've made it a purpose. I've taught every book of the New Testament. And uh, uh, a lot of the Old Testament. And I made it a purpose... To never use the notes from the time before, if I go back to a book. I always restudy it. And every time I restudy it, I find something I didn't find before. And I think you'll find that true if you study long enough. You'll always find something new. You'll always find something more. So you need to grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As long as you're alive, you're going to keep growing. And I think when we go to heaven, we're going to grow even more. We won't be hindered then by a fallen body that we reside in. We won't be hindered anymore. 1 Peter 1, uh, 1.10 says, Be all the more earnest, uh, eager, excuse me, it's not, the, it's not the same verb, it's a different one. It says, we'd be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. This is the idea of this, of growing in the grace and the knowledge. This is the idea of being, being earnest or, or diligent in, in reaching full assurance and having full assurance of your faith. These are, these are two passages that are related to it. You do it by growing in grace and knowledge. How do you do that? By studying the Word of God. By fellowshipping with other believers, uh, the interaction with other believers helps you to grow. Uh, the, the questions that come up in, in 
in small group Bible studies, the, the things that the pastor tells you in the morning services, the things that you just get from each other in a conversation with each other, help you to grow. It's, this is important, the association. He says, you want to be eager to make your calling and election sure. You want to have that full assurance. It is sure in God, positionally. He made it sure. You need to be fully assured within yourself. That's the idea that he's saying to them. They need that. We have full assurance of hope as we learn Jesus more and more. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. If I can find it. But, But whatever... But whatever gained I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing uh, Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be uh, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes. Through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might obtain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or uh, or am I already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have, to have made, it, made, it, uh, made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies, what lies behind and straining forward to that which lies ahead. I press toward the gold and the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is an ever-learning person. This is the Apostle Paul. This is how he viewed his life. He looked at it. This guy had a Ph.D. in Judaism. He was heir apparent to Gamaliel, the the head rabbi. And then he found Christ. And he says, I spend my life knowing him more. If Paul had to spend his life knowing him more, how much more do I need to? And you. That's, that's, That's the call here. That's what he's saying. Be earnest. Be deliberate. Make every effort. Continue. In, in growing and knowing, so that you may be fully assured of hope until the end. And when he says the end here, he means until you're called home. doesn't mean it's over. It means until, until eternity is wrapped around you, until uh, you're called into his presence. And then in verse 12, that clock stopped. Okay. Uh, verse 12, uh, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. And here, here he's going to he's going to he's going to lay a little bit of an example before him. But he says here he says he he uh, he gives a bit of an admonishment. He says uh, to and and he uses this same word. This it's kind of an interesting word. He's, he uses it. He says so that you may not become sluggish. You know you know don't, don't want to be a sluggard. You don't want to be lazy. Uh, one translator translated this lazy. That's what he said. Don't become lazy. Um, this same verb is translated in 511 where he says they're dull of hearing. It's the same word. Uh, it, it means to be dull. It just means to be that guy that sits in the pew and goes, 
You know, he doesn't, doesn't listen to anything. Not that sometimes we're tired and you might doze off. I, I understand that. I, I, I'll tell you a little story. i got enough time. Uh, early on when I first, uh, first had the thought that God wanted me to teach Bible, um, I got some training. And the training was at the rescue mission. Ever been to the rescue mission? Ever anybody ever been preached at the rescue mission? It's it's an exciting audience, but this one day in those days it's been a while. It was kind of set up like this. They had an aisle down the middle, and the chairs were here. It was just the men back then. It, they just had the men, and there was a guy sitting right where Kathy was sitting. And I swear he fell asleep. And he was snoring so loud, I could barely read my notes. <laughs> it was just, you know, uh, just that kind of thing. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty dull. You, know? <laughs> you don't get much duller than that. That's when you start preaching louder, brother. <laughs> I was a little young back then. I woke that buddy up. Yeah, you would have. <laughs> but anyway, but at any, but any rate, uh, uh, they called for dinner. He got up. But <laughs> But at any rate, uh, hopefully I don't put any of you to sleep. But nevertheless, nevertheless, it's, 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 it's sluggish. It's the idea of being lazy, uh, and it's lazy in their hope. Uh, it's, it's a stalled Christian growth is what you're looking at. It's stymated. Uh, you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not paying any attention. You're not listening. You're kind of like going through the motions and, oh, is this going to get over? I need to get, to, you know, to, the line at the restaurant is going to be long. Uh, the roast is going to burn, whatever. I need to get out of here. You know, that kind of thing. It's, it's the idea of just putting yourself on cruise control and cr- just moving along. Now, that's, that's what he's talking about. He says, he says, so that you may not be. Our desire is that you would be earnest, not sluggish. Our, our desire is you would be in haste, not lazy. Our desire is that you would be deliberate. And not taking a nap. Not that there's anything wrong with naps. I'll probably take one this afternoon. But he says, I don't want you on cruising through life. You need to be purposeful about your Christian growth. And, and that's what verse 12 of chapter 5 says, that they had stunted growth. And he's basically saying to them, we don't want you to be like that. That's not, the, that's not the condition you need to be in. He says, rather, rather, you need to be imitators. You need to follow the pattern of life who those through faith and patience inherited the promises. He's saying to him here, he's saying, look, you need to look. And, and here is, you know, if you've ever read Christian biographies, especially of some of the missionaries and some of the things people have gone through, uh, that's, that's kind of this kind of an idea. They didn't have those then. But they did have some. They had the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament saints. They had men like Abraham. Uh, and, 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 uh, and they had men like uh, Joseph. You know, they had David. They had those men to look to. And, and he's saying here, he said, you need to be imitators. They also had others. He, they had others, and later in chapter 13, verse 7, he says, look to the leaders in your own assembly. These should be men who are examples. These should be men that you can look to, and you can follow their pattern of faith. They're one group of those. 
In 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul said, follow me. Look at me. Be an imitator as I imitate Christ. He qualified it. You know. He says, there, there was a guy you could look to. He's going to write a chapter here pretty soon, number 11. And he's going to give them a whole list. He's going to give them a whole list of Old Testament saints. Look to these people. That's what he's saying here. We have examples in flesh that you can look to. Look to them. See how, how their faith played out. You tell these Hebrews to imitate the saints in their faithfulness, in their trust, in their perseverance, and in their zeal. That's what he's calling them to. That's what he's calling them to. He's saying here, these people inherited the promise and you can too. But here's what I want you to do. Be purposeful about your, about your growth. Don't go on cruise control. Follow the saints that have preceded you. And he says, God doesn't forget your labors. I think those are just uh, uh, a tremendous, a, trend, a tremendous encouragement to all of us to remember and to uh, and to pursue. So let's. Uh, do we have any comments or questions this morning? Did I confuse everybody greatly? I have questions. Yeah. Well, just one of my favorite verses that you hit on in Philippians three uh, ten that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And we cannot even go near how much that means, the power of his resurrection. Mm -hmm. There's nothing around here of that kind of power. And yet he's asking for that kind of power in his life. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a power. Well, that whole Philippian, that whole passage in Philippians is uh, just uh, that's the great Christological passage of the New Testament. So, at any rate, well, let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning as we have uh, as we as we have come to this text, and and Father, we we probably only touched on the depth of its meaning, and we just ask that uh, you would use your Spirit to impart to our minds the fullness and richness of this passage of what you what you have for your people here knowing that that while you take our sin away and you never bring it back up and you never forget it you never forget any of the things we have done for the saints you remember our labors you you have them written down i guess or or listed at any rate in your mind and and father you remember those you remember those things and you give some sense of honor to those things, and we, th- we, we thank you for that. And as a result of that, you're, you're also calling us to continue in our growth, to be purposeful about it, to be eager to learn, to not be sluggards, uh, to not get lazy and go on cruise control and just say, eh, I know enough. I'm saved, and that's good enough, and I'm just going to leave it there. No, that we want to know fully as fully as we possibly can while we look in this dull mirror of our current lives, 
we want to know Jesus as fully as we can, and we want to serve him as openly and honestly as we can. And we, fought, and we ask, Father, that we would, we would look to those who have gone before us, and we would look to your word, and we would look to you, and we would trust your spirit to lead us in that, that we might glorify your name in all that we do. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.